church family, let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We are so thankful for you and your love. God, you are the great I am. God, as we sing and we proclaim those words, God, I pray that it rings true in every one of our hearts today, that we would be reminded of you, the great I am. God, as we go into your word, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. We love you, and it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to have everyone here. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to start with looking at the first four verses there in Colossians chapter 3. But even I do want to warn you that I'm going to be jumping around several scripture passages. I want to encourage you to get out a pen or a a pencil and be ready to write there on your bulletin uh, just uh, some of these scripture passages. And I also want to say that uh, I want to invite you uh, to... uh, uh, Sunday nights, uh, starting January the 14th, and I'm going to be able to take this a little bit deeper over uh, the course of eight weeks uh, in looking at heaven and looking at uh, some of the different things uh, that, uh, we're gonna be sh- that I'm going to be sharing from this morning. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 says, Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I want want you to look at verse 1 there, and those first couple of words are that phrase, if then. That's a contingent statement there, if then, uh, is a, a statement basically that Paul is saying that not everyone is going to be able to claim this about themselves. And it should make us think right off the bat here, is what Paul's saying here true about myself? And so, as we look at this passage and we begin to explore this topic of heaven, I want us to start right here with Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. And my, my question to all of us would be, is Paul speaking to us? Is this include me when he says, if then you've been raised with Christ. And then he goes on to say, you've been raised. And he's talking about an action that's already happened. It's already completed. And how is it that, that uh, we've been raised with Christ? Because you think about that, he's saying, when Christ was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago, we were raised from the dead. And how is it possible? Because you think about this. Paul doesn't explain it here in this passage in Colossians chapter 3. But he does share in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So when Christ was raised, he was raised in a glorified body, and he was the beginning of the new creation. Colossians 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So by faith, Paul is saying that we become a part of this new creation spiritually, and he's saying that from the very beginning that our home is with Christ. We are a new creation. That 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So looking at that, Colossians 3, verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's where I want us to start this morning. Us as a church, thinking of things 
above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, this wouldn't be a text that I would immediately jump to when we start talking about heaven, but I do believe this is something that speaks to us as believers that we are to be thinking about. You know, I think one of my fears of today is that when we think of heaven, we a lot of times are thinking of heaven from this side of heaven. We're thinking of it in our context of what that looks like. I think the only time that really I hear people discussing heaven is in the loss of a loved one and death and, and, uh, uh, and, and what that looks like. And, and then there are many different interpretations. And I want to share with us as a church to, uh, to be very careful uh, when we start thinking about and reading about heaven because there is all kinds of uh, um, books out there about heaven that are just simply false. There are books out there that have been written by people who say they've died and they've gone to heaven and now they're coming back to write about it. And I just want to encourage you, even as we went through Grief Share, Don Piper had a book uh, talking about uh, death and and, uh, all of these things. I want to encourage us as a church that we wouldn't be looking to those types of examples when we start studying about heaven. I want us as a church, as believers, to be able to dig into God's word and see what it is that God's word has to say. Because Paul isn't telling us to seek out the things that we don't possess yet. One commentator said here that uh, we already possess these things. We've already we've been asked to seek things out that we've already done. In some sense, they already belong to us. He wants us to orient our thinking about the realities of obtained through faith in Christ. So church family, I want us to be reminded that when we start talking about heaven, when we start digging into uh, what heaven is like, that we first and foremost go to God's word. Uh, and, and I want to ask you this morning, I believe a lot of times that our, our understanding of heaven is just in our limited context, our limited view of what we see. And by a lot of times, that's not even looking at heaven. Even yesterday, just uh, flipping through the uh, TV channels and saw a, a couple that was looking at a, a home out on the, the West Coast that overlooked the beach. And he made this phrase, he said, this is heaven. We, a lot of times we are, we, are, we are making those statements about things that we verb, visually see or, or we're experiencing. And I want to tell you this, that God created the heavens and the earth and he created good and he created it for us to be able to enjoy, but that's not heaven. And so when we, when we think about heaven, I want us to, to first of all, under, get an understanding of where is it that we go to be able to look at heaven. And, and uh, uh, thinking about heaven a lot of times we don't uh, discuss it until funerals Uh, and I want to tell you this right now first of all I've done a lot of funerals and I think uh, just uh, the other day counting up uh, uh, years in ministry uh, you know looking at uh, about 30 years in ministry and all the funerals that have been able to be a part of and uh, share with people and some people that I didn't know some people that I know knew really well some people who uh, just reflected their relationship with Christ, and you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, a shadow of a doubt that uh, as you were sharing that that uh, uh, funeral service, that we were celebrating what Christ has done in their life. And then there have been people that uh, I had no clue, had no idea of what their faith journey was. I had no idea. But one of the interesting things about it is, is that I usually have a family member that comes up to to me, and they will say, 
Well, they prayed a prayer when they were six years old to, to trust Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But their life didn't reflect it from six years old until the point of death. None of that happened. And I, and I think it's interesting. I want to remind us as a church, when we start talking about death, and that's not a topic that people like to talk about. Uh, in fact, uh, there's a, a, a pastor who shared with his church. He said, I want to let you know that every member of this church is going to die. And a little boy on the front row, he chuckled out loud. And uh, pastor reiterated, he said, I want to let you know that every member of this church is going to die. A little boy laughed again. He said, well, what's, what's so funny? He said, well, I'm not a member of this church. <laughs> I'm, I'm good with that. But I want you to know that when we start talking about it, everybody's going to die. We, it's, the, it's, it's fallen humanity, and, and death is certain. It's tragic. But here's, here's the beauty of it. In, in Hebrews 9.27, And just as it appointed for man to die once, after that comes the judgment. Death is certain. It's tragic. By this, in Genesis 3.19, Because of the fall of man, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Paul uh, says in Romans 5.12, and he's summarizing uh, Genesis here. In Romans 5.12, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul is summarizing what he sees in Genesis there. Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's summarizing, Paul is summarizing there in Romans 5.12, creation. Fallen humanity, death, and then you get to uh, uh, Genesis there where you're reading the genealogies and you're saying this person was born and then they died. This person was born and then they died. Sin leads to death. But here's what I want to remind us of this morning. Death is defeated. Death is defeated because of who Christ is and what he accomplished on the cross. Christ has risen and has defeated death. We still live in this fallen world. We're still going to deal with death. But God has a plan. He has something greater in store for us. The last aspect of the fallen world to be removed is going to be death. Paul says, Then come to the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy destroyed is death. So as we... we as I share about this this morning, I, it, I, we're going to explore a couple of the different things. In fact, each of these different topics, you could go uh, a, a long time on in being able to do that. And so we don't have church tonight. It's cold outside, so we'll stay, but we're not going to do that. Um, the, the next uh, couple of uh, uh, bullet points there in your bulletin, I want to tie together. What happens when we die and then the reality of heaven and hell? What happens when we die in the reality of heaven and hell? Go back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ. Now remember, not everyone can claim this for themselves. So we have two categories of someone who dies, a believer and an unbeliever. There's no other category there is. There's an, a believer and an unbeliever. And for the believer, what happens when they die is the soul of believers goes immediately into God's presence. Once the believer has died... Though his physical body remains here on the earth and is buried, and at the moment of death, his soul, his spirit, goes immediately into the presence of God, rejoicing. And when Paul thinks about death, he says, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 5.8, 
To be away from the body is to be home with the Lord. And he also shares in Philippians 1.21. And Philippians 1.21 is my favorite verse. In fact, when I was uh, uh, 16 years old, I was sitting in a Bible study class down at False Creek, and they used to sit in these pavilions, and it was hot. And, and I remember the, the uh, teacher uh, in this little pavilion, there was maybe 20 kids that were in there, and I was sitting on the back row there. And he read this verse, Philippians 1.21, it says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And I remember hearing that, knowing immediately God spoke to my heart that I desperately needed to know what it meant to live to be like Christ. I, ne I needed to know what that meant. And, uh, and Paul goes on to say, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I ch shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So Paul sharing that. And Jesus said to the thief on the cross, dying next to him, Today will be, you will be with me in paradise. So we see for the believer that you're immediately ushered into the presence of God. And the other category of an unbeliever is this. The soul of unbelievers goes immediately into eternal, eternal punishment. Scripture never encourages us to think that there's going to be a second chance to trust Christ. There's never going to be a second chance to trust Christ. In fact, Jesus' story about the rich man and Lazarus gives no hope uh, that people can cross from hell to heaven after they've died. Though the rich man in hell cried out, Let's look at Luke 16, or write this down in your notes there just so you can refer to it later. Luke 16, verses 22 through 31. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, in, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and, a great, and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send, to, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Remember this, we're all sinners by nature. We're all sinners by choice. And no one deserves any of God's grace. No one deserves any opportunity to be able to hear the gospel. And what Jesus shares here in uh, uh, this passage there in Luke 16 is a reminder to us that heaven is real and hell is real. And that there's not going to be any second chance for somebody to be able to make right what, what they never did this side of heaven. 
In fact, I want to encourage us as a church family, we gather here weekly. And we have the opportunity to be able to open up God's Word. I want to encourage us to be having gospel conversations with each other. To be talking about things above. To be talking about the things of heaven. I find it uh, interesting. I think we are being decept- uh, deceived. Uh, and I think Satan's really enjoying uh, our, uh, our technology. <laughs> we are burying our faces into technology. And we're not having conversations with one another. We're not having gospel conversations. We're not talking about the things of God. I want to encourage us as a church family that we have the opportunity to to go to small groups, to Sunday school classes, and to be able to dig into God's Word together and to be able to to discuss what that means. You know, in fact, when we start to look at uh, some of the study of end times, uh, uh, eschatology and uh, the study of last things, there are a lot of people who disagree about uh, things about eschatology, about uh, um, whether it be uh, premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, historic premillennial. Um, and uh, I had a pastor one time, and every theologian in the room is going to hurt me for this. I had a pastor one time who says, Well, I, I, I don't know uh, uh, all the details about all of those, I just know I'm a panamillennialist. Which meant, he said, if I know Christ and I'm trusting Him and I'm following Him and I'm seeking after Him, that everything's going to pan out in the end. He said, I'm a panamillennialist. So I want to encourage us as a church family just to be uh, studying God's Word. And there are going to be things that we disagree on. And there are going to be things that that we need to to be able to talk about openly and freely and be able to to dig into God's Word and not base our opinions off of what we uh, grew up with or or what we we think that we understand. Being able to hear from another brother or sister in Christ about what they're wrestling with and what they see Scripture saying. We need to be able to dig into God's Word and see these things for ourselves. We are sinners by nature and choice. Those come only because of God's... are able to be in God's presence only because of God's unmerited favor. Condemnation comes not only because of a willful rejection of Christ, but also because of sinful nature. I want to encourage you this morning. There have been times where you've maybe felt a prompting of the Holy Spirit for, for whatever I need. A, I need to call one of the pastors. I need to call the church to, to talk to them about uh, my spiritual life. I want you to know that that is available to you 24-7 that we want to be able to visit with you. But more importantly, God wants to be able to do a work in your life. And don't ignore any prompting of the Holy Spirit that knock on your door, that on your heart's door of, of what it, whatever it may be that, uh, that uh, God's using to get your attention. Don't neglect those opportunities to be able to talk about those things. Although unbelievers pass into a state of eternal punishment immediately upon death, their bodies will not be raised until the day of final judgment. And then I want us to look at the return of Christ. Now, there's a lot that can be said about uh, heaven and hell and, and, and death, and, and we could explore those for hours and be able to, to talk about those. And I want us to think about what, what happens in the return of Christ. Now, like I said, there are a lot of people who will disagree on that millennial uh, view and what that may be, that thousand-year reign, where it is and when it is and what happens and the timing of Uh, second coming of Jesus, but I do know this, that we celebrate, that we look forward to, we anticipate the return of Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. You know, uh, I remember sitting in a class one time, and 
there's a guy who come out uh, with uh, false information, 88 reasons that Jesus was going to come back in 1988. And I remember the day that he said that, I was in a classroom with a lot of believers, and it was interesting to see the tension in the room of everybody struggling with this time frame that this, this heretic put out there. And what's interesting is, as, as believers, we need to be reminded, we know this, that Jesus is going to come again. We don't know the time or the hour, but we know that Christ is going to return, and he will re- return to witness. He will return to rescue. And when Jesus returns, it's going to be a sign of something that has already taken place. Hebrews 9:12. Jesus entered once for all. He entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus entered once for all. And Hebrews 10.10 says, And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then in Hebrews 9.24 and 28, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You know, in the Old Testament, high priests would uh, repeatedly have to go and offer the sacrifice. In Hebrews 9.24, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, He's entered once for all into the holy places. He's appeared once for all to be able to put away with sin. Analogy here is simply just like we will die once, Jesus has already died once, and he's already accomplished on the cross uh, uh, the forgiveness of sins and offering his body as a sacrificial lamb. Christ died once. It's not going to happen again. So he's going to come back as a witness of what has already taken place. He's going to come back as a witness of of what has already taken place. And when Jesus comes back, he's not returning to deal with sin. He's not returning to deal with sin because that has already been taken care of. What he will not do is just as important as what he's going to do. Because what he will not do, he's not going to come back and do uh, another death on the cross. But what what he's going to do is that he's going to come back and he's going to rescue He's going to save those who are eagerly waiting on him. Uh, I want to remind us that the work of Christ on the cross is finished. And when we stand before a holy God, we're not standing in front of a holy God based on anything that we have done. We're not standing in front of a holy God based on anything that we have accomplished. We're not standing in front of a holy God based on Uh, the good things, based on being at church on Sundays, none of those things. We're standing in front of God based on what Christ did on the cross, the already accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. When God looks at us, he's going to be seeing us through what Christ has done, through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is going to return uh, as a witness to what he's already accomplished. And he's going to return to rescue. Releasing us. Releasing from the hands of the enemy. Rescuing us before God judges the world. And so when we, we look about the, the second coming of Christ, the study of end times, those different views, uh, being reminded of that, I want to, I want to uh, invite you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation 21. And as we look at Revelation 21 here, uh, some of the resources that I found that uh, uh, just in preparing for today is uh, Grudem's Systematic Theology and Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven, is a, a good book. Randy does a, a good job of studying heaven and has got a great website with lots of resources and, and all of that. But uh, one of the things that Randy Alcorn said in uh, looking at what we're about to read about, um, I want to share with you what we assume about heaven and what the Bible says about heaven. And in fact, before we do that, let's look at Revelation 21, and I want to read the first four verses there. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. In Scripture, we have not only a promise that immediately when we uh, pass away, pass from this life, that we're going to be immediately ushered in to the presence of God, but there's a promise there that's coming that we read about in Revelation 21 of a new heaven and a new earth that's being uh, shared. And when will this happen? It's not going to be up there in a distant heaven, but down here on earth that we're going to be able to experience this. And, and I want to encourage you to, to dig into God's Word and, and not be able to just say, well, what in the world is Jim talking about here? I want to encourage us to dig into God's Word and see what it says for itself, for us, for us to be able to uh, uh, kind of unwrap the treasures that we see here about the new heaven and the new earth. And, and um, Randy Alcorn shares this in his book about what we assume about heaven and what the Bible says about heaven. What we assume about heaven is this, that it's non-earth, that it's unfamiliar, otherworldly, that it's disembodied, that it's foreign, that it's leaving favorite things behind, that there's no time and space, that it's static, that neither old like Eden nor new and earthly, just strange and unknown, there's not going to be anything to do. We're going to be floating around on clouds in a diaper. Not a pretty sight. There's no learning or discovery, instant and complete knowledge. It's boring. It's loss of a desire, absence of the terrible, but presence of little things that we desire. Well, when you look at heaven through the eyes of the way that we assume about heaven, it's not appealing. It's not appealing when I look at heaven through my eyes, this side of heaven, and what we think that heaven is. We have to go to God's Word. We have to go to God's Word and see what it is that God has unwrapped here, the riches of what heaven is. And here's what the Bible says about heaven. It's going to be a new earth. It's going to be familiar. It's going to be earthly. 
It's going to be resurrected, resurrected bodies, home, uh, retaining the good, finding the best ahead. There's going to be time and space. It's going to be dynamic, both old and new, a God to worship and serve, a universe to rule, purposeful work to accomplish, friends to enjoy, an eternity of learning and discovering, fascinating, continuous fulfillment of desire, presence of the wonderful, everything that we desire and nothing that we don't. And I want to remind us, too, that, that we're going to be in heaven with our enemies. <laughs> we're going to be in heaven with people that maybe we don't like. They've placed their faith in Christ. They're following Christ. They're pursuing Christ. And there may be somebody that you don't like this side of heaven that we're going to be spending eternity with. And I think a lot of times we always look at it in the context, I'm going to be with my loved ones. Well, there's so much more to it than just our loved ones. We're going to be in the presence of Almighty God. And, and I, I, I can't help but think that uh, just as we sang a while ago, the great I am, that our praise and our worship, it's not going to be boring. It's not going to be uh, anything but, but magnificent in us being able to praise God for who He is. And I, one of the things that I cannot help but think, and now this is Jim's thinking okay i want you to hear me on this and this is one of those things that i want us to be able to wrestle out together and and what we think we always talk about i wonder what our relatives can see uh, all of that i firmly believe that they are in the presence of almighty god and they're worshiping him and they're absolutely uh floored and of, of of his omnipresence of who he is and what he has and what they've missed out on and that's where their focus is and that's where our focus is going to be and there's not going to be anything lacking there's not going to be anything lacking so i love the of, of how randy alcorn uh, shares that what we assume about heaven and what the bible says about heaven and and you may have your own assumptions about what that may be but i want us to be able to look at god's word I want to close with us this today. When we look at the new heavens and, and the new earth and, and what it is that God is, is preparing, what is, He's promised, what's coming, I want us simply to be reminded to trust in Christ's authority, to trust in His Word. Don't go to some author that says that they're going to tell you about an experience they had and a visit they made to heaven. Don't do that. Go to God's Word. God's riches in His Word. Uh, lots of money has been made in that, that type of industry. The riches of God are where we need to be. That we, that we dig into God's Word. That 2 Tim, Timothy 3.16 for all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. God's Word is where we are to turn. So trust in Christ's authority. And the other thing is, and I want to invite you to go back to Colossians chapter 3. Not only do we trust in Christ's authority, but I want us to live in light of eternity. I want us to live in light of eternity. Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set, and then he goes on to say, set your mind on things that are above, not on things on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Church family, may we pursue Christ with all of our heart, soul, and mind. May we not be guilty of, 
just a casual acquaintances, casual attendance of, of seeking. May we pursue Christ. May we pursue Him together. Uh, and uh, the opportunity for us to be able to, to pray together, to be able to share our burdens together, to be able to share our sins with one another and, and confess to one another and being able to, to have that type of fellowship and what that looks like and being able to, to reflect Christ in that with one another. May we live in light of eternity. You know, um, every one of us live in a circle of influence of people that we have the opportunity to be able to relate to on a daily basis. In fact, I would say that every one of us have, and, and in fact, I hope you have, somebody around you in your circle of influence that doesn't know Christ. When we think about, when we start looking at uh, uh, death and heaven and um, who Christ is, I pray that it gives us a, a, a burning in our hearts for the lost, for them to be able to come to know Christ, for us to be able to share the truths of God's Word, to be able to reflect who He is, and that we would be praying for them. Uh, and then for us as believers to be able to continue to encourage each other until the day of Christ's return. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your love. I pray this morning that as we gather together to worship as the body of Christ, Lord, that uh, we would be reminded, not just reminded, we would know the finished work of you on the cross. God, I pray that you would be with us as believers, that we would have a mindset to think of things above, to be able to to set our mind on you, our hearts on you, and not things of this world. God, I pray for anybody here that doesn't know you. God, that uh, you would speak to their hearts. You would draw them to you. Lord, I pray that as we open up this time, uh, that uh, people would uh, be able just simply to go before you, repenting of sins, trusting you as Lord and Savior. God, that we would be able to... Uh, uh, celebrate that together with one another. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Church family, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to go into a time just to sing this last song and, and uh, continue in worship. And I just want to invite you, if, if you don't know Christ and you would like to know Him, Pastor Owen's going to be here, I'll be here, and we would just love to visit with you, love to be praying for you.